Choose Linux, episode 20, for October 17th, 2019. Hello and welcome to the show that captures the excitement of discovering Linux. I'm Joe. I'm Drew. I'm Elle. And I'm Cheese. And here we are for episode 20. And like you heard, we've got a special guest, so welcome to the show, Cheese. Hey, thanks a lot, man. We're not going to do distro hoppers this time, so we'll have to wait till next time for chaos. Today we're going to talk about single board computers, and that's why we've got our special guest, Cheese, because you've got quite a lot of these, haven't you? Yeah, I'm surrounded, in fact, by six single board computers. Um, I have all different makes and models. I've been a huge fan of single board computers since the original Raspberry Pi, uh, and even going back to some other x86 machines from way back in the day uh, that I purchased off of eBay in an attempt to have smaller machines and uh, lower power usage. Well, that's really the key with single board computers. They're generally small. They generally going to be ARM-based, so use a lot less power than an x86 machine. And they generally are going to run Linux as well. Well, and they're really good project computers, too, because they have things like uh, GPIO, which is general purpose input-output connectors, where you can attach additional hardware to extend them. So even though it's just one little single board, you can get things like additional sensors or a webcam or attach a screen. Uh, really, there are just tons of choices for making these things more than just a little computer. The name you know in single board computers is definitely the Raspberry Pi. And all of us have got at least one of those. Actually, I just got mine two days ago, so not a lot of experience, but had a lot of fun trying to figure out how to set it up. So does that count? Yeah, definitely. Tell us more about that then. I have to admit that I did not do a lot of research because I wanted to get the feel of what it would be like for, let's say if I just bought it and gave it to someone. So I get the box and I open it up and there's a great little pamphlet there telling me all the other things that I should have bought. You know, like a power adapter or a screen <laughs> or other add-ons. And I'm thinking, why didn't they put this on the back of the box instead of in the box? Because I'm already home. Should I have done some research? Maybe. But realistically, when people are given pies, it's as a gift. It's to get uh, encourage them to get started with messing around and tinkering with hardware. So I just think maybe putting a little more info on the box would be helpful. I never thought about that, but that is a good point. But generally, you need an HDMI cable, a keyboard, a mouse, an SD card or micro SD card, and a power supply, which is usually a phone charger will do the job, which when I started listing those things out, I thought it wasn't that much, but actually it turns out it is more than I thought, because you also need a screen or a TV. You know, when I was looking at it, I thought, okay, keyboard and mouse, all right. I didn't think about the fact that it wouldn't come with a power adapter, and my monitor runs DisplayPort, so I had to go back and get an HDMI cable. And so, you know, I, it's just little bitty things that I think results in people ending up with a pie in a box somewhere in a drawer, and they'll say, I'll get around to it when I get everything together. Well, that's why I always order a kit. You know, all of the major resellers typically will have some amount of a, a, a kit that includes all of the base things that you need. And then you can buy up to another nicer package that also has like the official keyboard and mouse. And I always get it from Canakit, but depending on where you are in the world, you may have a different supplier. 
One of the things that I find is when people talk about the price for the pie, they're like, oh, it's great. It's, you know, low entry cost. It's only like 30 some odd dollars, but they don't take into account that that price isn't really kind of a fair um, assessment because you do have to buy all of these extras. So I think that should be included when you're talking to somebody about getting started with it. Well, that applies to pretty much all single board computers, right? Not just Raspberry Pis. You're generally only going to get the board and then you have to think about the other peripherals that you're going to use with it. Well, and for me, generally, I don't ever hook these single board computers up to a display. Uh, in most instances, for me, they run headless. So as long as I have a power supply, which, like Joe had mentioned, is generally a phone charger will suffice, um, a network cable, um, I'll, I'll plug it in and I'll run headless. So you can generally, with most of these distros, you can touch a file or you can edit a file to give you um, SSH access right as soon as the machine boots. And so I generally find myself using them for uh, various little purposes, but never even hooking a display up to them. One of the things about Raspberry Pis is it's not just one model. They go from the super cheap Zero W, which is about $10-ish and very low power, all the way up to the 4B, which can cost about $80 if you buy it as a kit, potentially more, obviously, depending what's in that kit. I presume you've got quite a few different Pies, Cheese. Do you use any of the lower power ones? I originally started with the uh, original Raspberry Pi. It gave that original Raspberry Pi away, uh, which I was nice enough to include an HDMI cable, a <laughs> uh, power adapter, um, an old mouse that I had, and a few other things. Um, but then, you know, over time, I upgraded, and currently I'm sitting on the Raspberry Pi 3B. Uh, but I also have, you know, various other boards, um, one of my favorite is, in fact, the Orange Pi Zero, uh, which is about half the size, believe it or not, of the Raspberry Pi and runs great for a little headless service type system. Odroid makes a really nice uh, single board computer. This one that I have is an older one, but it's the Odroid C1, another great little machine. The one thing that is kind of quirky about some of these other boards specifically the Odroid and the Orange Pi, is that uh, they don't all power through micro USB. So some of them are small barrel jack power connectors uh, and those sorts of things. So it can be a struggle sometimes with these other boards where you do have to buy a separate power adapter uh, to get them up and running. One real reason that I like the Orange Pi Zero is because it is so low power I can run it off of the USB port on my router. The thing about the Raspberry Pi, though, is that it's really, really popular, the most popular single board computer, and therefore the community is huge, and therefore the number of operating systems is huge as well, specifically for the Pi 3B+, Plus, which has been around for quite a while now, and there are just almost endless operating systems and software available for it, whereas... What I consider rip-offs, like the Banana Pi and the Orange Pi, they tend to have a smaller choice for operating systems, don't they? For whatever reason, I don't know why these companies choose to use Pi at the end of their names. <laughs> orange Pi, Banana Pi. I've legitimately never had an Orange Pi or a Banana Pi. I have had a Raspberry Pi, though. Um, and one thing that Raspberry Pi Foundation does really well is their documentation. And like Elle said, she, she recently picked one up uh, and I'm hoping that the little, um, the book, the booklet was in there because they do provide really good documentation out of the gate and getting started. Um, and like you said, there is a huge community that surrounds the Raspberry Pi. So 
Uh, in general, yeah, it's the more popular option. It's the more documented option. Uh, if you're new to single board computers, I would encourage you to go that route over some of these others. Uh, but there are plenty of operating systems that are really available for, for any of these single board computers. Well, and I think th- it's important to note that the real limiting factor for what's going to run on a particular single board computer is most likely the SOC or the system on chip. There's a wide range of SOCs out there and compatibility and mainline kernel support uh, is definitely a thing that you have to be concerned about. Uh, A lot of this work has been done by some really great projects out there, so it makes it pretty easy to get into them. If you're getting into it, I would recommend that you jump in with the Raspberry Pi because, you know, like stated before, you're going to have better support there. I think you're going to have uh, a little bit better success rate, especially if you're new to single board computing. That's one concern of mine is long-term software support for these boards because you know that the Raspberry Pis will be supported even if it's just by the community in the long term, whereas the boards from the smaller companies with the smaller communities might not necessarily get that support long term. Right, and and I think you've nailed it. I don't think that you are going to get that same level of support it's difficult to dismiss some of these other vendors because they do offer a different and sometimes a more enticing product. So, Al, you talked about your very first impressions. Did you actually get it up and running, though? I did. I went back to a project that we talked about a few episodes ago, and that was the little on-air sign that Alex had made for us. And so he had a kind of tutorial on his website that talked you through installing Hass.io, and it was really simple. I have to say, you know, I just used my favorite little USB creator and plugged it in, plugged in the keyboard, the peripherals, plugged in an Ethernet port because that particular image didn't have a way for me to get the Wi-Fi set up. And I was up and running in, I mean, five minutes, if I'm kind of exaggerating it, probably. That was actually really nice. Oh, excellent. So have you managed to get the sign flash in different colors and stuff then? I'm having problems with actually programming the Arduino board inside of the actual sign. So now I'm having to have my Arduino talk to the actual Raspberry Pi. And that's coding and networking that I've never had to do before. So I guess there are layers of how much you're going to learn and what you're going to do to get these up and running. Andrew, you've got quite a few Raspberry Pis, haven't you? I do. Uh, I purchased a Model 1 way back when, and then a Model 2, and eventually a Model 3. I haven't gotten around to a Model 4 yet, but I used to use them all over the place for things like uh, XBMC receivers and... Uh, various little servers around the house. Just, I mean, when the power consumption is a cost of a cheeseburger over the course of a year, it's hard not to use them somewhere, right? I was really excited about sitting down and talking to you guys about this because when I got the pie, before I decided to go ahead and go back to working on Alex's project, I started thinking, okay, what do I do? So I hopefully I did what most anyone would do, and I jump on Google and I type first Raspberry Pi projects. And it's things like running a web server. And I'm like, why? I'd use a cloud server. And I'm like, okay, go to the next one. And it's like, you know, learning to do Python with Xcode. And I'm like, okay, I would just use a terminal. And I just kind of kept going through them thinking, is there a real practical use case for these devices? Or is it just, I'm bored and I'm going to try something else out? 
Oh, no, there are lots of things that you can do with these. I'll give you an example. Back when I worked for an MSP, I had a client who had some security cameras in their offices, and they wanted to be able to display them on a TV. So I had them set up with a whole Unify camera system, and turns out that you can just pull those RTSP streams. So I ended up setting up a Pi connected to that TV where it ran, it didn't even run X. It was just in a frame buffer putting these cameras and I could arrange it in code. So at boot, it would just run a script, pull up all these frame buffer views of these like 15 different cameras and display them all on the TV in the layout that I specified. And that thing just runs and runs and runs. I mean, I've also made kiosks out of them for uh, digital signage and Various little projects like that where you don't need like a full x86 computer and it just needs to be able to run with very little heat dissipation for days, months, years without really being touched. Right. And and I've set up uh, some myself, you know, using them as retro gaming machines, um, small Minecraft servers, Ruin audio. I've used that. I don't think they're still being developed. Um, but essentially use that connected to a stereo so that I could just stream music directly to it. Previously, before I had pushed everything into the cloud, I used to use one of these boards to simply SSH into from work so that I could use IRSSI, which turned into, which I eventually switched over to WeChat, TMUX, TTY clock, a bunch of incurses tools. So I basically had a workspace that I could SSH into uh, and get some stuff done. You know, obviously you can stretch this and you can use these for building robots. Um, like Drew said, security systems, Shinobi is a, is a great one to, to pull those RTSP streams in. There are several different uses. And I think once you kind of start your journey down single board computers and like El said, like, why would I set up a web server here when I could just do it in the cloud? Um, absolutely. And, and to me, part of the reason that I've moved away from uh, single board computers, say for a little SSH server, is because my internet reliability at home isn't that great. So it would, whenever the internet would go down or the power would go out, um, the machine wouldn't boot back up or um, you know the internet would be out for hours until I got home. It made me want a little more reliability out of those types of systems. Uh, but still, I mean, there are so many different projects and different little things that you can do. And as Drew spoke about earlier with the GPIO pins and uh, I2C and all these other interfaces, if you really want to get into it, you can start connecting it and and really building things out of it that, honestly, you would be hard-pressed to do with a desktop or a last laptop computer. And the barrier to entry is a lot easier than it is, say, with a microcontroller where you have to program it. Um, with a single board computer, you could load an operating system on it, and then you're off to the races. Right. And to me, the Raspberry Pi and its ilk are really well suited for local only projects. Like if you, say, want a dashboard that shows you the current weather and maybe a family photo and a clock that can sit in a picture frame on your wall, that's a Raspberry Pi. If you want something that can monitor the moisture level of your garden and automatically water your plants, that's a Raspberry Pi and some sensors. So to me, 
single board computers are really best used when you have a project that's not strictly about computing. It's about interacting with other devices on a local network and doing something with them, whether it's triggering some other action or just monitoring and reporting in. Going back to your question, Elle, about what to actually do with these things, a media box is one great solution because you could just go and buy yourself a Roku or something. But if you used a single board computer hooked up to a TV, it gives you much more flexibility with what you can install on it. You could be running a Samba server on there. You could be doing all sorts with it as well as serving your media. If it's running a Samba server, wouldn't it be have to be connected to something else, increasing the amount of hardware that I'm having to use? Well, not necessarily. Say you have a Raspberry Pi or a similar board plugged into the TV with a hard drive plugged into the board and Samba running on it. You could connect to it from your laptop or phone and throw your photos and videos on there and have them on the TV. And everything then stays within your local network. You're not using cloud services. You're not compromising your privacy and security. It's all just within your local network. That is an interesting use case that I hadn't considered. And to go back for a few examples with Drew's example of setting up a photo display that is running from home off of one of these pies, like that's a great use. I could make and make use of that. My main concern was mainly kind of what she's talked about is my internet connection is spotty and it's constantly going down. So when I'm traveling, I don't want to worry about having to call somebody and say, hey, can you go by and troubleshoot my equipment while I'm gone? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And that's why the cloud makes more sense for some use cases. But sometimes, like Drew said, you want to just keep things local. Well, I will say that L brings up a great point in not wanting to hassle the family to go reset her Raspberry Pi that she's using to uh, VPN into or uh, attach to remotely. I've actually had to do that on more than one occasion. Uh, During the summer, whenever I was working at the university and my wife was off, she's a school teacher, there would be a time or two that I would ask her to go unplug and replug in, basically turn it off and on again so that I could get back on the machine and do some work um, or chat on IRC or whatever it may have been. So they're great for one-off uses. Yeah, you can run a desktop on them. They're not really going to replace your desktop. Most use cases, that's not really what they're for. What we're seeing now, though, with some of these other boards that are that are out there in the wild, like the Rock Pro and a lot of the stuff that the Pine64 guys are doing, is they're actually giving us the computing power that we're wanting out of these so that uh, with the PineBook Pro, um, it'll sip power on standby, you can still get enough work done. You can still play back 1080p video. You can, you know, obviously use it for browsing. Um, for me, you know, the terminal, a browser, and video playback is really what I need out of a laptop uh, when it comes to my personal use. Obviously, whenever I'm developing graphics and those sorts of things, I will gravitate to using a desktop machine because I need that power. But in most cases, these single board computers that are up and coming, especially in the laptop form factor, should provide enough power that you can actually get work done on them. You know, I have a crazy dream that I want to take one of these single board computers. I don't know which one yet, but I want to build it into a desk to run a couple of monitors and a recording interface and just be my booth recording computer. That way I don't have to walk in with a laptop or anything like that. I can just sit down. 
It's right there. I plug it in. It's ready to go. Hit record, join Mumble, load show notes, and I'm recording. I'm looking forward to the next generation of chips because I think it's right around the corner. I can smell it coming and I want it. Well, I remember when the Raspberry Pi 3 came out and Martin Wimpress, Wimpy, joined the Mumble server for Linux Unplugged and did the whole show and then at the end of the show said that, yeah, I've done this all from a Raspberry Pi 3. So that was possible. I think that you're right, Drew. We're within sniffing distance of being able to do basic recording and desktop computing, not powerful stuff like editing or proper content creation, but for what you've described there, it does feel like we're close. Well, and one thing that we haven't mentioned about these single-board computers, and more specifically the Raspberry Pi, and they really set the trend for this, is the standard GPIO pin setup that they have has been mimicked by almost every single-board computer uh, for compatibility's sake. Not only does that allow you to interface you know, with using a fan, for example, to, to help cool your Pi, but there are also several hats, is what they're called, that you can place on top of these Raspberry Pis directly onto the GPIO pins so that you can get high-quality audio out of these machines. Uh, one of the downfalls or one of the pitfalls to the original Raspberry Pi, the 3.5-millimeter audio jack, was incredibly noisy. So, yeah, you could play back audio on it, but yeah, one of the things that you saw from some of the original reviews was the audio quality was terrible, uh, which gave people the ability to tap into these GPIO pins, develop uh, high-quality audio DACs to sit on top of a Raspberry Pi, and some people have even built products based around that. Uh, I think the Ruin Audio guys have, I think it's called the Ruin Rune Box, um, and it's this really slick-looking simple use case audio device. Well, and that brings up the other thing that I want to do, which I've tried a couple of different iterations of this and haven't quite gotten it right yet, is I want to put Raspberry Pis in or some other single board everywhere in my house hooked up to small amplifiers and speakers and be able to do things like stream Spotify and create a much less expensive version of what Sonos does. I feel like it should be doable, but I haven't been able to crack it just yet. Well, I think you could do that with the various hats, but then the cost starts to mount up and you have to consider, is it just easier to go and get a Sonos system? You know, it's funny that you mentioned that as the project you want to do, Drew, because the one thing that I did manage to get um, Hasio to do is to actually broadcast my Spotify to all of my Google Homes. So I finished a project you want to do, but I cheated on the hardware. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I just need to finally break down and order one of those Google Homes or something. I just have been avoiding them because I don't like the always listening aspect of those you can turn off the mic and they're cheaper than the Pi. I would want to open it up and physically disconnect the mic if I was doing that. Yeah, I'm not super confident that that mic is always off. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But we didn't really talk that much about the educational side. And that is the fundamental reason that Raspberry Pis exist. They are for education primarily. And okay, you can do a lot of what you can do with the Raspberry Pi on a normal computer, but... The fact remains that you can always just wipe the SD card and start again if something goes horrendously wrong with a Raspberry Pi. And also the GPIO pins, you can connect to all sorts of robotics and motors and do stuff that you can't really do 
with a laptop, not easily, not without extra hardware. And so I think that although we as tinkerers think about, you know, the, the various Linux stuff we can do with it, most kids who are using it are learning to code for the first time or doing the physical computing stuff. And it's much cheaper for a school to outfit themselves with a bunch of Raspberry Pis than it is with a bunch of x86 machines. Absolutely. And as I mentioned earlier, my, my wife is a science teacher and she's actually teaching a robotics class this year. It's her first year to teach the class. And they're currently using uh, the Lego products, which is the Lego Mindstorm product. It essentially has a single board computer as the brain of that. Well, they're pretty pricey. Um, you know, they can get up there really quickly. Like uh, I think the the latest version of the the brain uh, for the Mindstorm kit is about three hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, well, there's other companies out there like. Uh, Dexter that produces a brick pie, which can essentially tie into these same sensors using these GPIO pins. And it's a great platform to educate kids, like like Joe said, on hooking up sensors and, and how a temperature sensor works um, and how these air quality sensors work and, and, and why they do what they do. So there are other options that are single board computer type devices, but they're a lot more expensive and when it comes to education, this really is a way to get kids excited about computing. And again, like Joe said, that if they mess it up, it's not a big deal. You could have a bank of SD cards where you just take another one out, take the one that they messed up, put the new one in, and they're back, you know, working on their project. So there's there's several different ways that these can be used in education. I would like to see them used more often than they are. But obviously, it's one of those things where, at least here in the United States, it seems like Lego Mindstorms really has that educational market on lockdown. Well, we'd better wrap it up, but thank you very much, Cheese, for coming along as a guest. Your insights have been very interesting. Well, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. You can go to choose slash subscribe for all the ways to get future episodes and choose slash contact for ways to get in touch with us. If you want to find us on Twitter, I'm at Drew of Doom. And I'm at L underscore O underscore punk at L-O punk. And I'm at Cheese Bacon. That's C-H-Z-B-A-C-O-N. And I'm at Joe Ressington. We'll be back in two weeks. Bye.